Today, we have a very special guest joining us, a mastery trained health coach with a unique expertise in addiction, health, and wellness. Her journey has led us to focus on a specific issue that plagues many communities, gray drinking. Did you know that Alaska has one of the highest rates of alcohol consumption in the United States? In fact, Shocking statistics reveal that nearly one in three Alaskans engage in gray drinking, a term used to describe the consumption of alcohol in a way that falls between social drinking and alcoholism. This phenomenon raises a thought-provoking question. Why do so many individuals turn to alcohol as a means of escaping or coping? To shed light on this issue, our guest has dedicated her career to helping individuals break free from the chains of gray drinking. Her transformative methods have empowered countless individuals to regain control of their lives and find true freedom. But what exactly is gray drinking and how does it differ from social drinking or alcoholism? So whether you're someone struggling with gray drinking, a concerned family member, or simply curious about the complexities of addiction, this episode is for you. Join us as we dive into the world of gray drinking and discover the path to freedom with our expert health coach and advocate for transformation. Get ready to be inspired, educated, and empowered as we embark on the eye-opening conversation. Let's find freedom together. The following podcast episode contains sensitive content and discussions surrounding topics such as suicidal ideation, alcoholism, cancer, and pregnancy loss. We understand that these subjects can be triggering or emotionally challenging for some individuals. We encourage you to exercise self-care and discretion while listening. We will be discussing deeply personal and sensitive topics that may evoke strong emotions. We believe it is essential to shed light on these issues as they are often stigmatized and misunderstood. Throughout this episode, we will be addressing suicidal ideation, alcoholism, cancer, and pregnancy loss. Our intention is to create a safe space for open and honest conversations, while also providing support and understanding to those who may be going through similar experiences. However, we want to emphasize that if you are currently struggling with any of these issues, it is crucial to seek professional help. This podcast episode is not a substitute for professional advice or therapy. We strongly encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional, a counselor, or a helpline in your country. If you find yourself feeling overwhelmed or triggered during this episode, we encourage you to pause, take a break, or skip ahead to a different topic. Your mental well-being is our utmost priority, and we want you to prioritize your own self-care. Remember, you are not alone. There are resources available to help you through difficult times. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger or experiencing a crisis, please contact emergency services right away. We hope that this episode will provide insight, empathy, and support for those who need it. We believe in the power of sharing stories and fostering understanding. However, we also recognize the importance of taking care of ourselves and seeking professional help when necessary. Thank you for understanding and for joining us on this journey of compassion and awareness. Together, we can create a world where no one feels alone in their struggles. Remember, your mental health matters. Take care of yourself and reach out for help when needed. We appreciate your support and understanding. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Empowering Time Markers the podcast where we share inspiring stories, empower listeners with business tips, and create connections. I'm your host, Tia Bottom, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey of growth and empowerment. Our guest today is a mastery-trained health coach that studies addiction, health and wellness, and transformation methods. One day, after waking up, from another hangover, she realized she was stuck in the gray area of drinking. Then she got sober, which led her to focus on freedom. Please welcome Mallory Simmons. For having me, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad you are here. You are a military sister of mine. And you are where? I am in Anchor Point, Alaska. I have so many more questions, but I want to get right into it. Tell me the story. I started health coaching in 2019 when I had my daughter and I wanted to do something focused on health and wellness, which has always been my passion. I got into the sobriety niche. That whole transformation for me started in 2021 when my husband had a tumor removed from his head. Our dog died and I had a miscarriage and that all happened in, within 30 days. And then two months later, I had another miscarriage. Hold on. Let me just... A pause for a second. That is a lot <laughs> within a short amount of time. Yeah. What was going on in your head? 
It was, my husband and I have very dark sense of humor. So it was a lot of inappropriate jokes. An example I'll give is my, it's not funny, but it's funny. Okay. So he had a tumor in his like nasal cavity. So it wasn't in his brain, but it was pushing on his skull plate. And it was, the doctor suspected it had been growing for about 10 years. So that happened. And then my dog's cancer was in his mouth. <laughs> my husband was like, but we were driving home from the doctor after we found out that it was a tumor. He's like, what are you feeding us? That's Sorry. even more funny because you are into health and stuff. <laughs> that is too funny. Yeah, but it was a lot. And because I have a background in my degree is in psychology. I have a certificate in addiction studies. So my original career was substance abuse counseling. So because of that experience and education and my coaching, I could tell what my brain was doing. I was very conscious of the fact that I could feel more of a pull toward drinking and like anesthetizing and just like taking a break from feeling how horrible it all felt. And I knew that if I did that, it was just going to sit and wait for me to not be drinking, to keep rising up. And so I had to get really good at riding the waves of grief and letting myself get used to feeling terrible feelings because we're not really taught how to do that in school from our families, like in life, we just we're not taught. And so I am just so used to even as a health coach before I got into this niche, if I had a really bad day or I was socializing, I would drink wine or beer or whatever was around. That's just what I was used to doing when I felt terrible. But because I felt so terrible, I was like, I can't do that this time because <laughs> that's going to lead. This is what happens. This is the catapult that leads to addiction. And I'm not I have a, a child that needs me. I can't. Well, how old was, was your daughter at the time? Okay. Yeah. So I'm very grateful to my background because I don't think that if I had that foundation, I would have been so aware of what was happening for me. And I had a lot of really great support at the time. My husband and I really leaned on each other. And actually in so this all happened like around summer, fall. And so then that February, Alaska winter hit and I had suicidal ideations and I had never experienced that really before. I a little bit when I had postpartum but not to that level. And there was like a solid week where I had barely talked. I did all my health and wellness things. That's always been how I try. Like when I'm in, in the thick of crap, I try really hard to eat extra healthy, exercise extra hard, do all the mindset stuff to like try to take care of myself. And none of it was working. I couldn't get that out of my head. I wasn't going to do anything. I, you don't, it's not like my kid would ever just get over my mom killed herself sadness. Yeah. Right. That changes you forever. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was just like chatter in my head. And so one day uh, it was like Friday night and my husband was like, you have to talk to me. This is scaring me. And I was like, I just, I'm not going to do anything. I can't get it out of my head. It's driving me insane. We were living in Ketchikan, Alaska at the time, which is like southeast. I called my mom and I was like, I, I just told her everything. I was like, I can't get it out of my head. I think I just need to get out of Alaska. I spent some time in California with my family. The sunshine flipped a switch. And I did end up getting on a low dose of Wellbutrin just for a little while. Medication is great for a time and a place, but I've always tried really hard to rely on nutrition and wellness first. Right. And so I met with a psychiatrist and I told him my whole thing. And he said, too much happened too fast. Right. And your brain needs like a little bit of a push to get back to like homeostasis. So yep. let's just you want a low dose for just a little while to get your brain going again. So that was very helpful. But it was looking back, I'm grateful for it because I don't think it would have planted the seeds of cutting alcohol out if I hadn't gone through all that. Now, did you have counseling at the same time that you were on the well-butrin. Yes. Bless her heart. I don't think she was the most helpful therapist. I actually got more support from my coach. My coach was amazing. I had a coach and a therapist that I was working with at the time. And the coach, like the, she was really great at like holding space for me. And she had a lot of really cool tools and visualizations to help me process my grief. That was really supportive for me. That planted the seeds. But then what ultimately led to me walking away was I decided when we moved from the island of Ketchikan to mainland Alaska last May, I wanted to challenge myself to 90 days without it because I was just so sick of hangovers. And even if I didn't like overdrink, just the brain fog and the weight gain and all that, I was just like, I need 90 days to just focus on nutrition and wellness. Was there a catalyst, something that happened right before that, that made you go, you know what, I need the 90 days? This was, 
a couple of months after the suicidal ideations and everything. And so I was still drinking. I was just trying not to drink all the time. Right. And then right before we moved, we were like drinking a lot because it was like our last time at this restaurant and that restaurant and with this group of friends and that group of friends. So I just wanted like a clean, I felt like it would be a clean break. Yeah. From one place to another. I did 84 days and I felt amazing. It was like my brain turned back on. I had almost no anxiety and I'm pretty sure I came out of the womb anxious. That's just, that's home for me. It's feeling anxious. And then on the 84th day, it was Labor Day and our neighbors, we have snowbird neighbors and they were leaving and it was going to be my first really big snowy Alaska winter. And after I had gone through the last Alaska winter, I was terrified. So I drank all of my feelings and I woke up so sick and it really was just like, that's it. I'm done. I'm just done. Like I, I had so much more fun all summer hanging out with everyone. They're drinking. I'm not. I didn't care. I had a decaf latte that I was just super happy with. And then I drank on this last night, embarrassed myself. I feel like crap. It didn't add any value to the evening. And then it took a week for my body to feel good again. How did you embarrass yourself? So my neighbor, I loved her. They moved this year officially, but I loved her so much. She was really fun, sweet, kind, older woman. And I started crying like a toddler and shook her like, please don't move. Please don't leave. Just stay here. And she was like, maybe you should go to bed. So yeah, it was just because I, my my inhibitions were lowered and I just couldn't regulate my emotions and it just all came out. It was like the nail on the coffin for me. And it just showed me all summer the work I had put in to feel feelings and take care of myself was so much more valuable than trying to just socially drink with my friends. It just wasn't worth it. I know that I brought up drinking the gray area. So tell me more about that. I had never heard that before you. It's a pretty new term. Even going through addiction studies, when I was studying to be a substance abuse counselor, it was never discussed, but that was a decade ago. Basically, if you look at drinking as a spectrum, on one end is the fairly obvious addiction, right? Like it's affecting your family life. You can't really hold down a job. Your health is in disarray. It's very obvious that it's it's taken over. Then on the way, other end of the spectrum is what I call a unicorn brain. I don't understand, but I respect it, where you can drink a glass of champagne at a wedding or a glass of wine at a tasting and just all year never think about alcohol. It has no bearing on your life, but you'll sometimes drink a little bit. Then there's this massive gray area where it's not taken over your life. You have a fully functioning, happy life, but it's taking up your money. It's taking up your energy and it's how you cope with your stress. It's how you celebrate. It's how you grieve. It's a huge part of your life. It's a huge part of how you socialize, but you still, you don't have a a drinking problem, but alcohol is holding you back from the life that you're capable of. Does that make sense? Yeah. Slight inconveniences because of this one thing in your life, but it doesn't overtake it, but it's showing up. Yeah. So it's the cycle I was in for years, even as a health coach, Mm -hmm. I would be really healthy all week. And then it would get to the weekend and I would drink, but drinking makes you hungry and your inhibitions are lowered and you crave sugar. So you eat food you wouldn't eat during the week. So all weekend I'm eating garbage because I'm drinking. And then all the next week I'm trying to get back on track and make up for that. But my hormones are messed up from the alcohol. So by the time it's Friday, I feel good again. But then I'm going to drink with my friends. And then this cycle repeats for years. So you decided after Labor Day, this is it. I'm done. You could see the vast contrast of what life was like before. And then immediately you saw yourself. It was like this huge awareness, right? Tell me tips that you did for yourself. Like, I know that you're extremely book smart and now you're actually living that life of, oh, I might have some issues here with the very thing that I had studied, which makes you an amazing coach, by the way. And I'm so glad that you are doing this and this part of your passion. So tell me some tips, tricks, things that you had to do and figure out on your mindset 
that helped you get on the path to do it? Is it the challenge? Is that what helped you? What? I think it's a process. I do say in my story very much sounds like there was a day that I drank and then it never happened again. And that is true. But that's it was a process getting there. It was probably a year of me being sober curious where I was like, how do people function? Like, how do you really go to an event and not drink? I just was blown away by that. And I was I wanted to be that person. I just didn't understand how. So becoming curious is how it started. And then recognizing my triggers, so to speak. So thinking a big trigger for me is because I always work from home. My husband would come home. And if the house is messy and he gets angry, that was a huge trigger for me. I would be like, screw this. I'm tired. I want some wine. So I started just noticing, oh, that's interesting that this leads to me wanting to drink. And then from there, challenges really helped me. It started, I did the hard 75. I never successfully have finished it, but that doesn't matter to me because in the times that I've attempted it, it's taught me a lot. I did the hard 75 a couple of times going through everything we were going through in 2021 because it's a really great container. Because you, it's not an option, right? It, the junk food, the alcohol, the excuses aren't options. So you then are forced to pay attention to your internal dialogue and your limiting beliefs and everything that you're used to just going with. I loved the challenge and I love being forced to learn. Okay, so if I, I had a stressful day, I'm on the hard side. What do I do right now? And so I've, I got more into meditating. I've found some alternatives to alcohol. Drinks with adaptogens are really helpful. CBD, it's a big deal up here in Alaska. Those are some things that really help me shift. It's just slowly shifting. It's a little bit of progress. Going from having five drinks down to three drinks and holding yourself accountable to stick to that line. Uh, and then a big one for me was the efforts because you get to a point in the day or in the week where you're fried, especially like I have, I'm away from my family. I have a small child and I don't have a ton of supports here. And I just reach a point where I am done. And so I say, screw it. And I go get a bottle of wine and I get a piece of cake from Safeway and that's dinner. Cause I'm like, screw it. I don't care anymore, but I do care. You <laughs> do care. Yeah. I was going to say, but then you do. <laughs> But then I do care. And so that was another really pivotal shift for me when I was in this sober curious place where I felt really frustrated. And my first thought was, I need a drink. And I was like, what do I actually need right now? Like when I say I need a drink, what does that really mean? And the first thought that came to my mind was, I need peace right now. Is that alcohol? Does alcohol provide peace? You could argue initially, yes, but if you look at the, if you play the tape long-term, no, it, ca- it creates anxiety in your body. It takes away from your ability to deal with whatever's causing anxiety. I was like, okay, so if I really need peace, alcohol isn't the answer. What can I do right now that would provide some peace? And so I think I made like a healthy protein shake and watched something funny on TV. And then I felt better. Yeah, I love <laughs> laughing. So that's one of my favorite things. Stand-up comedy is my life. Okay, so what role did your daughter play in this for you? That's a really great question. A lot of roles. Uh, One, she's super sensitive to smell, and she wouldn't cuddle with me if I was drinking wine because she hated the smell. I was like, I like my cuddles more than this buzz. I'm going to put this down. And then uh, another really pivotal shift for me on this trajectory was uh, Dr. Daniel Eamon. I follow him on social media and he posts a lot about the dangers of alcohol and stuff that you're not necessarily taught. That The pivotal piece for me was he posted a video about how all the studies we hear about how healthy alcohol is for you were paid for by the alcohol industry and largely flawed in how they were conducted. And new research is showing that any alcohol intake increases your risk of seven types of cancer and dementia. And so when I learned that, I pictured Cheyenne, my child, having to take care of my dementiated ass because I refused to deal with life and I wanted to drink instead. And I was like, I want to be sharp for her. I want to travel the world with her. I want to, if she gets married, has kids. I want to be like the fun, silly grandma. 
I don't want to be a burden. And no, you can't control it 100%. My mom had breast cancer. It's not like she asked for it because she was unhealthy. It happens. But I want to the best of my ability, I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to stay strong and sharp. How do you counteract? Because I know addiction and stuff, it comes with a lot of shame. So how do you, how did you counteract that shame that creeps up? That's a great question. I am on a lot of like sober Facebook pages these days. And my train of thought is our brains love dopamine hits. Our brains love to seek pleasure and avoid pain. That is how we are biologically wired because it kept our ancestors alive. Now it's making us fat and lazy. But it is not your fault that your brain is doing this. It is your responsibility to handle it appropriately and to do the work to not let it take over. So there is no shame in your brain doing something. I don't think I ever really had a drinking problem. There was no massive rock bottom. It was just, I'm tired of headaches. But people that do, I say, my perspective, do you have a drinking problem or is drinking a problem? Because in my perception, nobody should. Because none of us want cancer or dementia and we all want to be healthy. That's, I like that question. And I think that people need to hear that. Because you have a background in book smarts around addiction, you mm-hmm. already knew going in what to look for. Like you saw it before most people would. If you were talking to somebody that has maybe some complications with alcohol or is, and they're not seeing it, do you plant a seed or what is there a question that you would ask them to like just plant a seed of maybe there's an issue or would you even do it? Would you just wait? Uh, I can't wait. I am too... I'm, like a really religious person with the gospel and I can't I got you it, it's a delicate balance because I don't think in my experience it's not all addicts are the same everyone's of journey course. yeah but I think you deep down know and that's why there's this like huge wall in defensiveness and like rationalizing and minimizing that goes on because you know it's not okay one thing I say on the sobriety groups that I stock is maybe don't ask Or what if you changed it from is drinking a problem to is this helping me feel healthy? Is this adding value to my life? So if I am around somebody who is drinking a lot, I'll just be like, how are you going to feel in the morning? Or what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? Is this helping you? I totally understand. Through my life, I have had my mom was an alcoholic. And I've never been a real big drinker. I was always the mom of the group, occasionally in college. But my thing was cigarettes. Interesting story, just because you said that, and how addiction can start without you even realizing. Just for my little story here. And in college, my friends, because I swore I would never smoke. My mom smoked. I hated the smell of smoke. Back in the 90s, I'm aging myself. You could smoke in bars, and I loved to go dancing, and I was a DD a lot, but I did drink occasionally, and we'd walk. But it was better if I just smoked a cigarette while I was there at night, and then it wouldn't bother me as much. And then my friend became addicted, and I only smoked when we went out to the clubs. And I thought, oh, I don't know how people get addicted to this. Like, it was, like, in my head, like, how does this even happen? And then my friend became my roommate and she was like, let's have a celebration cigarette. And it's like the same with alcohol. Let's yeah. celebrate. And you're doing it for fun and you're not addicted. So everything is fine. We're just celebrating. And then, oh no, now it's, I'm having a stressful day. I need a cigarette or I need a, a glass of wine. That's how it starts. And then for me, I was working at a gas station at the time and you were allowed to take a break unless you smoked. So I was like, oh, I smoke. Like, I can do this. So I started smoking during the day. And then I was a smoker all of a sudden. Like, I yeah. had to buy a pack of cigarettes every day. Like, all of a sudden, my body was addicted. I, my mind was addicted. I was emotionally attached to it all of a sudden. And it sneaks up on you. And I imagine that's what it's like for alcohol, too. Because that could have very well have happened to me. It could happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone. And I think that's one of the 
things that enmeshed in the the shame of it is there's this the other end of that to me is there's this arrogance of I'm better than you because I'm not an addict and you are you don't know what that person went through like I and I used to be uh super judgmental like my uncle died of alcoholism and like my family judged the crap out of him for it and I just thought I'm better than you because I'm not like right then I got into substance abuse counseling and I heard stories of the people who were on probation and parole and their childhoods and everything they'd been through. And I was like, I probably would try meth too if that was an option for me. And I had that in my head. So it's, you don't know what journey someone has gone on that led to the addiction. And you don't know, I, I think we're all one trauma away. For sure. And I think that the more people can be aware of that and have the tool to feel emotions and take care of yourself really well when a trauma hits, you're better equipped to not go down that road. Because if you have, and I think one of the scary things about gray area drinking is you think you're invincible because you do have some boundaries with alcohol and you don't have a drinking problem. But like I've experienced when you have those habits in your head and your brain is used to you avoiding pain and seeking that specific pleasure, when enough shit hits you back to back, it's going to feel like a very intense pull. And if you're not ready to recognize that pull and deal with it, you will become an addict. You're not will. I don't know you. You (laughs) could And that doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It just means your brain was seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And you didn't have the tools to keep that from happening. When you know better, do better. Yes, I love that quote. And what's interesting, that's an Oprah quote, right? I've heard it from a bunch of different places. I don't know. (laughs) Back in the day. (laughs) Interesting fact is she was addicted to meth. She was an addict herself. And she became a powerhouse. So it doesn't. You're not immune. No. Not having an addiction. I have random coping skills that I call addictions now, right? So I'm a huge planner. And I realized this about myself because I grew up in a chaotic alcoholic. I'm psychoanalyzing myself. (laughs) Okay. I love to plan and I do it when I'm happy, like for a vacation. And then this summer, it really dawned on me, like I have a toxic trait of planning when I'm stressed. I start planning, trying to figure out every scenario. But you can't do that. But I realize like how addiction can happen. Yeah. Control. Yeah. That helps you feel safe, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. I love. All right. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk a little more about you. I First of all, I just want everybody to know you are an amazing writer. You have a blog with so many great topics that are relatable and you're just real and raw and honest and inspiring. You do that in your TikToks. So definitely, I want to make sure people follow you on those things. And on Facebook, I love your posts. Certain things I wrote down, don't take everything personally. You posted more about your husband and the relationship you had and how you noticed, like when you were becoming sober, like for real, for real, like how you were interacting, how you were thinking. Could you mm-hmm. explain a little more about the mindset shift that would help entrepreneurs in that too? It's not just your relationship with your spouse. It could be relationship with clients of don't take everything personally. That's a really great question. So there's this great book called The Four Agreements. Oh, yeah. And one of them is don't take anything personally because what someone else does or doesn't do has very little anything at all to do with you. In the coaching program I went through, The way you see the world is very specific to you. It's specific to your upbringing. It's specific to your sense of humor, your biology, whatever. And I am not on your map. I'm on mine. If you are triggered by chaos, chaos scares the bejesus out of you. But chaos is funny to me. And so I say something that creates chaos in your mind. I'm going to go about my merry way and I'm going to be just fine. But you're going to be perseverating on whatever I said to create that chaos. We're on separate maps. If you decided to say, she probably didn't need chaos in my mind. This is my own stuff. 
I'm going to choose to not to disregard what she said because it had nothing to do with me. My favorite example to use is my husband's Coast Guard. He works really ridiculous hours. Yes. He is exhausted all the time. And I will work my butt off to keep the kitchen clean because it helps him feel calm. It took me about four years of marriage to start respecting that because I at first was really annoyed by it. It's hard to keep a kitchen clean. <laughs> Anyways, so I'll keep the kitchen clean or I'll have it be clean. And then two minutes later, he'll come and he'll put like a cup in the dish in the sink. And I want to stab him in the eye with a fork. It fell on my map. Very disrespectful. But for him, he didn't think of it that way at all. He just thought of it as this is where dishes go. And I am tired. I'm going to go lay down. She doesn't care about the kitchen being super clean. I do. So we're on different pages. And if I want to take that personally, I can. Or I can say, he's tired. Just a dish. Not a big deal and go on with my life. When you choose to take things personally, you're creating this story in your head where there might not be one. Absolutely. So it's more about awareness, right? Yes. Of your own thoughts and choosing. Yes. If you leave an interaction with somebody and you notice like a tension or they say something that makes you angry, you have to be aware of why. What about this interaction created that anger in me? And there's the Brooke Castillo from the Life Coach School. She always talks about nobody can ever make you feel an emotion. It's your map. It's your thoughts, your own feelings that have created this. And you have to do the work to own that and deal with it. It's not his fault I take things personally. It's not his fault. It's mine. And so I have to own that and not take it out on him and vice versa. He has to own his shit and not take it out on me. So with clients, my business coach that I'm working with, I've known her for a couple of years. And the first time I almost signed up to work with her at the beginning of 2021 and I chickened out and I told her no. She could have interpreted that as I'm a terrible coach. No one's going to work with me. All the things we tell ourselves about I'm not enough. And none of it would have been true. I didn't sign up with her because I was scared about my own value and if I could actually make it work. And now when I was ready and I had the self-belief, I signed up with her. It had nothing to do with her. Nothing about her changed. She is as amazing today as she was back then. It was me that changed. And the story I was telling myself about me, not her. Yeah. And we're all creating stories in our head, right? About other yeah. people, about situations. I do it all the time. And you have to pull yourself back, <laughs> rein it in, and ask, is it true? Yes. Is it true or am I just feeling anxious right now? Right. That's one of my coping things for myself or anxiety is I have to coach myself and ask myself, hold on, let's do a checkup here. I looked at some of your articles and your blog, and especially the latest one, I believe it's the latest one, is right now. We're recording this in September. Finding freedom from alcohol in a state covered with gray skies and dripping with booze. Basically, you are in the state where alcoholism is like, rampant. That's what they do in Alaska. There's nothing else to do. So alcohol is your go-to. And you've alluded to this before and blatantly said it. It's dark and it's gray and it can be depressing. And you're like, you know what? Right now is the time that I want to go drinking. And you have amazing stories, especially the contrast of California to Alaska. Are you going to write a book? I am writing a book right now, but it has nothing to do with that. That is an interesting idea. Moving to Alaska has profoundly changed me because of a lot of reasons. But the people up here are like the grittiest and just they're the best humans. They are going to survive the apocalypse just fine. And they're going to help everyone in their community survive the apocalypse, too. I just I love the people up here, but it is substantially different than California. Like all the amenities that you're used to aren't here. Where in California? Sacramento area. But I moved around a lot. So I was in like Monterey and then I was in uh, Mendocino County for a while, which is a huge meth and pot land. Yeah. So moving up here, I had to adjust to actual winters. And the sun is very different up here. During the dead of winter, you only get about four four to six hours of daylight. And I am solar powered from California. So I've had to find other ways to really take care of myself. And a fun fact I learned recently, I'm very adamant about not having gluten because one of the reasons is gluten hinders your body's ability to absorb vitamin D properly. 
Vitamin D is a very big deal up here. So do you have a lot of options up there to be gluten-free? If you're willing to make your own stuff, yes. We do. We have two grocery stores, not to brag. (laughs) They do have some healthier options, but a lot of people up here have their own gardens. We have a small greenhouse, so I'm learning how to garden. Uh, My husband is a really great hunter, so he brings home moose or deer or bear. I'm not a big bear fan. That was really hard for me. Yeah. So I, we can eat healthy that way. And then. And you have on. chickens, right? You have your own chicken coops? Yes. Oh my gosh. They're so cute. I was not expecting to enjoy having chickens. We just got them this year. Very entertaining. Yes. <laughs> I saw it on TikTok and you're like, <laughs> they are so funny. And I love that. I love seeing your videos of the land and it's so beautiful. You love hardcore working out. I do. I got into health and wellness for real. I used to just be like a yo-yo dieter and I thought I was eating healthy because I ate the way the government told me to eat, which is not healthy. But in 2015, a friend gave me Insanity DVDs uh, with Sean T and I fell in love. I lost 25 pounds and when you work out that hard, you can't eat like a burger and fries. And then go do a bunch of burpees unless you feel like vomiting. So I had to learn and I got into podcasts. So I learned a lot about like real nutrition and not the lies we're told. Yeah. So 2015 was a profound shift for me because I learned how to not. I had new tools to deal with anxiety in life. It wasn't just drinking on weekends. It was let's do an insanity workout. And then, so just ever since then, that's been like a huge part of my life. Like when I had my daughter in 2018, I had postpartum depression. Very grateful. A lot of women have it way worse than I did. But I started working out at three weeks postpartum, which you're not really supposed to do, because I just needed to get some sort of dopamine, serotonin. And I was dying. That I just, exercise is such a big deal for me. It's how I take care of myself. It's how I lift myself up when I'm feeling down. There's something about doing a a really hard workout that shows you like how strong you are. Because if you told me before Insanity that I was going to like it, I would have told you there's no way I can even do that. Because I just, I've always felt like weak and I was a chubby kid. So I just have that like mindset of, oh, I'm, I don't, I'm not strong enough, empty chubby, all that nonsense. But when you do that and you just like own how powerful you're capable of being, there's just nothing like it. I don't think everyone needs to do Insanity because I recognize that's a whole other level of crazy. Pushing yourself physically is something everyone should do. Yes, I agree. I've survived death a couple times, but I could not do insanity, at least at this point in my life. So that's not on the radar for me. <laughs> Just like walking was like good for me. And I'm like, look at me, I can do it. So yes, very true. Like everyone is at a different level and we're all so different. So finding the right people in your life, the right systems in your life. And that's why I wanted to chat with you because you're amazing. And I wanted to play a little game before we close out and get a little more information about you and where to find you. But first, we're going to play rapid fire questions. What was your first job? I was a cashier at a Bible bookstore. What is your favorite trend ever? Like fashion? Fashion. Fashion. Uh, my God. I forget what they're called. They're the combat boots. Combat boots. Right. Okay. <laughs> Doc Martens or your biggest pet peeves? Bad grammar. Oh. <laughs> What's one thing you want to do this year? There's only a few months left. One thing I want to do this year? Uh, cross-country ski. Oh. You're in the right <laughs> place. Three things on your bucket list for life. I want to travel to Europe. I want to skydive. And I want to be a New York Times bestseller. Oh, nice. I believe in you. How many siblings do you have? I have one brother. Is he older or younger? He's older. He's uh, three years older than me. Lives in Washington State. Favorite candy or snack? I know you cut out sugar, right? So what's my favorite candy dessert would be brownies. They're my kryptonite, as are Cheez-Its. I will eat an entire bag of Cheez-Its. And what's your Zodiac sign? Oh, gosh, I'm terrible. I think I'm a Capricorn. Yeah. Born in January. January, January, baby. Okay. What's your favorite thing about yourself? 
I'm very funny to me. I think it's funny. I'll agree. I'll agree. The best piece of advice you've ever gotten. Oh my gosh, so much. I'll say the best piece of advice I've gotten recently, this business coach that I know, not the one I'm working with that I mentioned earlier, that she's in Australia and I love her accent. She was like, darling, just get over yourself and do it. It's you, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Wish I could hear her. That was a good segue into what are your top three tips that you would share with entrepreneurs, like beginning entrepreneurs or people that want, maybe want to start a business? I would say first one is go bold. Jensen Sarah says this in her book, You're a Badass at Making Money. If you have an idea, immediately do it. Do not hesitate and go as bold as you can. Because when you hesitate, your, your self-defeating thoughts are going to take over and it's not going to happen. Hire support. You need a business coach, a mentor, somebody. And especially if you're getting into coaching, because extremely hypocritical to expect somebody to invest in your coaching program when you won't invest in somebody's coaching program or you won't invest in yourself. And this has been the biggest one for me that I'm finally getting good at is embrace the no's because it's a non-negotiable part of this. And the more no's you get, the more yeses you're going to get. Yes. Yes. I love those. Now, so we know you're in Alaska, but you are a coach. And tell me more about what kind of coach you are and what kind of clients hire you. I am an amazing coach. No, I... <laughs> I, I use what's called the transformational coaching methods. Clients come to me when they are stuck in a rut and they're just done. And we create a container where you are able to look at your limiting beliefs that are keeping you stuck. And then we do specific coaching sequences that rewire your brain so that you can get past that. Because when we are pushing past something but we're not quite sure what it is, it's always going to come back and it's going to show up in different ways. I focus on three different things. I focus on your health, your relationships, and your purpose. And then there's a couple of different things that we focus on within each of those. That's a whole other story. Because it, like, yes, my biggest passion is helping people cut down or cut, my ideal will be cut back or cut out, but I ain't telling no one what to do. Cut out alcohol, but really it's a holistic approach because every aspect of those three things, how you take care of yourself, how you take care of your relationships, how you focus on your purpose affects how you drink and how you take care of yourself. So we look at all of that to really help you up level your health and your mindset so that you can create non-negotiable, amazing health and vitality and just have all of this energy and love and passion for life. Different ways I have one-on-one -on -one, and then I'm running monthly challenges because I love challenges. I think it really, it's hard when you start like a program or something thinking about the never evers again. But when you are just in a 30 day container, okay, for 30 days, it's not an option. Like I said before, you get to learn how to take care of yourself differently for those 30 days. And then because you have an endpoint, it's not as scary. Right. And then after 30 days, you can go back, of course, but because of the shifts you've made during those 30 days through coaching and all of the wellness that you're doing for yourself, it's going to be different. And now I know you have more offers coming soon in different increments, right? So you'll have the 30 days, the 90 days. We're starting with just the 30 day now, but then I'm going to offer a 90 day challenge group and a year long challenge group. Awesome. And you could use that as a stepping stone, right? So like somebody could go in and be like, you know what? I can do a little longer and yes. taking like steps. That's great. I love that you do that. Where can people find you or follow you if they're just listening and they can't click on the description? Can you tell me your website or socials? My website is my favorite thing in the world. It's coachmal.life. Super easy. Find me on Instagram, coachmal underscore. And then on Facebook, my name is Mallory Simmons. I'm like one of three that pop up, I think. And your TikTok was? Oh, I forgot I'm on TikTok now. That's new. <laughs> uh, what is my TikTok? Let me look that up. I think I'm at Coach Mal Wellness. Okay. So it's M-A-L. Yeah. M-A-L Wellness. And that's how I, you can find me on TikTok. Awesome. Do you have a favorite quote off the top of your head by chance? I do. It's hanging up. It's long. Okay, do it. I want to hear it. 
It's the man in the arena quote that Brene Brown made famous again. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out the how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly and who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. First of all, you did amazing. You read it better than I would have. And I don't have that little voice telling myself that I have dyslexia. And you share about that. You share that you have dyslexia and general anxiety order and things like you are an open book. You are an amazing person. You're relatable. And I think everyone should meet you. And if they can't, they should follow you because you have such wisdom and you really care about people. You're so passionate about what you do and you do amazing things. I am so uh, proud to call you a friend and I am so thankful and appreciative that you showed up and are sharing yourself with me and everyone out there. So thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here and to to share with your audience and I am just here to support and I am passionate about what I do because I think the way we treat ourselves is profound. Tell me about your freebie. If you go to my website, coachmal.life and you type in your name and email address, my before I drink checklist will be sent to your email. And basically the point of this is to retrain the habit loops in your brain. So if you are approaching a Friday night and you're used to cracking a bottle of wine, or you had a really crappy day, and you want to drink. Before you do, because it's all about a, a journey, right? A year, unless you want a cold turkey. But before you drink, this is a checklist of different things you can do to calm your nervous system, nourish your body, and bring yourself back into alignment. And then if you still feel like drinking, you can have a drink, but you've at least done something to help rewire a little bit. You've calmed your body down so you're less likely to overdrink. You set up yourself to have a more enjoyable night. So some examples are um, meditation. It's a big one on there. Eat a nourishing meal, fat, fiber, protein, uh, drink water. Like, are you hydrated? Have you exercised? Have you tapped? I'm really into emotional frequency technique. I'm not trained to do it, but there's some online ones. There's some women I know that are phenomenal. So that's on there. So do an EFT or a tapping video, just some ways to bring your nervous system down. And then if you choose to have a glass of wine, you've at least done something for yourself first. Yes. And for even more tools, definitely contact her and yes. go to her website and pick up that guide. I have one final thing to ask you. What would be the first step for someone who wants to work with you or to live a healthier life, what would be their first step? Meditate. Start med If you don't meditate, start meditating. It's Thank profound. You. I 100% I agree with that. It changed my life. Mindful meditation. Yes. Mindful. Gabby Bernstein has some really wonderful ones, guided meditations on YouTube. If you want to connect with me, I can send you some of my favorites that are free. Uh, but I could point you in the direction of some great meditations. But there's no better way in my experience and in my education, there's no better way to begin becoming aware of your internal dialogue than by meditating and giving yourself space. Yes, I love giving space to ourselves and to others. And yeah. I'm glad that I shared space with you today. Thank you yeah. much, Mallory. You are an amazing person. Oh. All your links and everything in the show notes will be in the description. And um, I wish you nothing but success, my friend. Thank you. You as well. 
As we come to an end of this episode, we hope that Mallory's insights and expertise have shed light on the issue of gray drinking. Through her mastery-trained health coaching and transformative methods, Mallory has shown us that there is hope for those trapped in the cycle of gray drinking. We have learned that gray drinking is not simply social drinking or alcoholism, but rather a complex middle ground that requires a unique approach to recovery. Mallory's dedication to helping individuals find freedom from gray drinking is truly inspiring, and her holistic methods offer a path towards lasting transformation. Remember, if you or someone you know is struggling with gray drinking, there is help available. Reach out to professionals like Mallory, who can provide guidance, support, and the tools necessary to break free from the grip of addiction. As we conclude this episode, we want to provide you with some resources that can offer support and assistance if you or someone you know is struggling with any of the topics discussed in this podcast episode. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or in crisis, please reach out to a helpline or emergency services in your country. In the United States, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. For international helplines, please search online for crisis hotlines specific to your country. For those dealing with alcoholism or substance abuse, consider reaching out to organizations such as Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, or Narcotics Anonymous, NA. These groups provide support and guidance for individuals seeking recovery. If you or someone you know is facing a cancer diagnosis, organizations like the American Cancer Society at www.cancer.org or Cancer Research UK at www.cancerresearchuk.org offer valuable resources, information, and support networks. For those of you who have experienced pregnancy loss, support groups such as Share Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support, www.nationalshare.org, or the Miscarriage Association, www.miscarriageassociation.org.uk can provide understanding and comfort during this difficult time. Remember, seeking professional help from mental health professionals, therapists, or counselors is crucial. They can provide personalized guidance and support tailored to your specific needs. We encourage you to take care of yourself and reach out for help when needed. You are not alone, and there are people who care and who want to support you through your journey. Thank you for listening, and please remember to prioritize your mental well-being. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Empowering Time Markers. We hope you found inspiration, gained valuable insights, and connected with our incredible guests. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us continue to bring you empowering content. And remember, the journey doesn't end here. Stay connected with us on social media, where we'll be sharing additional resources, behind-the-scenes content, and updates on upcoming episodes. Thank you for joining us on this empowering journey. Together, let's continue to make our mark on the world one moment at a time. Until then, keep empowering yourself and others. This is Tia Bottom, signing off from Empowering Time Markers.